Actually, this morning as I came in and sat down at the piano, the acoustic piano, and I just started playing some chords that came together. And the words that came with the chords said, what does a move of the Holy Spirit look like today? Did it look like the pillar of fire and a cloud by night as it did in Israel's day? Does it look like the children that the Bible speaks about that God would give prophecy and messages and leadership ability to? What does, what does a move of the Holy Spirit look like today? Have you ever wondered, have you asked the Lord, how will I recognize it, Lord? started in us, in our spirit, and we'll recognize it because it's him. We know him. Just ask that question. What does the move of the Holy Spirit look like today? a testimony to share this morning or would you like to come up and sing a special just unannounced I mean was there not a day where the pastor would just point to somebody and say come on up here and bless the people with a special hope you have something prepared get your cassette tape out of your purse and give it to the sound man and I've seen it happen close to that before many times all right no testimonies no specials okay going once all right, come on up. I could pick somebody. That's one Sunday morning, long, long time ago, long time ago. Brother Watson literally came up behind me and he tapped me on the shoulder and he said, you're going to be the next piano player. And I, I said, what? I said, um, well, that'd be great, except I don't know how to play anything. <laughs> he said, you're going to learn. And you know the rest. You, most of you were here and had to endure it. But sometimes the tap on the shoulder is a good thing, right? Well, I want to share something with you this morning that the Lord put on my heart very early last week. It was a very busy week, ended very busy, and Doug's been working his fingers to the bone at the church, meeting people and staying on top of contractors, and Doug and Don uh, um, supervised putting all these beautiful lights in, and I'm sure you've all seen the beautiful light in the entryway by now, all the new lights in the kitchen you can actually see in the kitchen now. Praise the Lord for that. And uh, 
I prayed on Sunday afternoon last week. I went home and I'm so thankful that I have sisters that pray for me. Terry said, I'm praying that the Lord will give you a message really early in the week. Well, guess what? <laughs> Monday morning, Monday morning, the Lord put this on my heart. And by Wednesday, I will have it all done. It's really short, so you won't be here long. But what a message that it packs. And I just, I'm thankful that the Lord knows we have lives, and he helps us live those lives on a day-to-day -day basis. Even when we know we're going to be super, super busy, the Holy Spirit knows what he's doing, and he can do it like that. I'm so thankful. If you would, please turn to the book of 2 Kings. We're going to read chapter 2, a few verses. But just immediately prior to the verses that we're going to read, Elijah was taken up into heaven, and his mantle had fallen upon Elisha in front of the sons of the prophets. But these young prophets who were students in the Bible school that Elijah had started there and Elisha took over had doubts. And they begged Elisha, let them go search for Elijah's body for surely he must have fallen out of the cloud that the Lord took him up in and he must be laying on the mountain. Let us go look for him. And Elisha said, no, that would hurt your faith. No, believe. You don't need to go look for him. He's with the Lord. But they wouldn't stop begging him. They would not relent. So finally, Elisha said, okay, fine. Sir, form a search party and go look. And for three days, they diligently searched for Elijah's body. But we know the story. They found nothing. And Elisha said, I told you so. I told you you don't need to go because he's with the Lord. We're going to pick up reading 2 Kings chapter 2, verse 19. Then the men of the city said to Elisha, Behold now, the situation of this city is very pleasant, as my Lord sees. But the water is bad, and the land is unfruitful. Elisha said, Bring me a new jar and put salt in it. So they brought it to him. Verse 21. And Elisha went out to the spring of water, and he threw the salt in it and said, Thus says the Lord, I have purified these waters. There shall not be from it death nor unfruitfulness any longer. So the waters have been purified to this day, according to the word of Elisha, which he spoke. And now if you would turn over just a few pages to chapter 4. We're going to read 2 Kings chapter 4, and we're going to start with verse 38. When Elisha returned to Gilgal, there was a famine in the land. 
as the sons of the prophets were sitting before him, he said to his servant, put on the large pot and boil stew for the sons of the prophets. Now some versions say stew, some say pottage, and some say soup. But none of them are clear as to whether there was meat in the pot or if it was just vegetables. We don't know that. Verse 39, then one went out into the field to gather herbs and found a wild vine, and he gathered from it his lap full of wild gourds and came and shredded them into the pot of the stew, for they did not know what they were. Now there's that problematic word, wild, again. So they poured it out for the men to eat, and as they were eating of the stew, they cried out and said, O oh, man of God, there is death in the pot, and they were unable to eat it. Verse 41, but Elisha said, now bring meal. He threw it into the pot and said, pour it out for the people that they may eat. Then there was no harm in the pot. Is that an incredible story or what? I think so. These two accounts, as you can see, are quite similar in several ways. Elisha and the students, the Bible school student prophets there were involved in both of these miracles, in the foul water and in the poison pot of soup. Both involved the pollution of critical means of sustenance for the people. Very basics of life, water and food. There was a drought which resulted in the polluted water and a famine in both of these stories. We aren't told in either story how the spring of water became polluted. Now listen to me. Whether by design of evil men or a plot to take over the city by ruining the water or whether it was by natural effects of the drought and bacteria got into the water. We don't know that because the Bible doesn't share it with us. And likewise, neither are we told what the wild gourds were so that we could stay away from them, right? But it's not that important to the story as we're going to read in just a minute. And that uh, because it was death that was put into the pot, nor how instantly they knew that it was poisoned, nor what kind of meal was used, to make the soup harmless. God chose the use of these very common things in both of these stories to prove a point. Salt to purify the water and meal to cleanse the soup. God gave us Jesus. He's the pure water that we drink. Jesus said, come to this well of me and you will never thirst again. And the life-sustaining bread, meal makes bread. And Jesus said, I am the bread of your life. 
But these things, these questions that I asked about the gourd and the water, how did it happen? They weren't important for us to know. Because when we are completely dependent upon him, the hows and the whys make no difference. Because it's his will and it's his power and it's his ability that did the work. The tools he used, the salt and the meal, and the vessel, the prophet, made no difference in the outcome of this story. Yes, he was obedient. Yes, Elisha was absolutely ordained of God, and he was anointed by God. But God could have chosen any one of those little boys to come in there and put that meal in the pot or carry the salt down to the spring of water. I want us to know that. One of the most significant points about these stories is that even though there was a terrible drought and a terrible famine, God provided these very essentials of life, the clean water and the pure food for his people. We don't know what the future holds for us, do we? I wish we did. I'm sure you've all heard, as I have, the stories about how our water systems are uh, in jeopardy of becoming polluted and that we're headed for a severe shortage and famine in our land. Some of these stories may be true and some of them may not be. We don't know the source of where they came from and who we can trust and who we can't. But this one thing we know we know and we can be sure of without a speck of a doubt if you will turn to one last passage psalm 37 verse 16 better is the little of the righteous than the abundance of the wicked for the arms of the wicked will be broken but the Lord sustains the righteous. The Lord knows the days of the blameless, and their inheritance will be forever. They will not be ashamed in the time of evil, evil and in the days of famine they have abundance. But the wicked will perish, and the enemies of the Lord will be like the glory of the pastures, they vanish like smoke, yea, they vanish away. The wicked borrows and does not pay back, but the righteous is gracious and gives. For those blessed by him will inherit the land, and those cursed by him will be cut off. The steps of a good man are established by the Lord, and he, the Lord, delights in his, the righteous man's, ways. And when he falls, he will not be hurled headlong because the Lord is the one who holds his hand. And finally, in verse 25, David concludes the matter this way. I have been young and now I'm old, yet... Have I not seen the righteous forsaken, nor his seed begging bread? Will you stand with me today?
if our God wants to choose a prophet and tell him to add salt to the water or meal to the pot, he's more than willing and more than able to do so to bless you and me today, tomorrow, and in our future, no matter what comes our way. Amen? Do you believe it? Oh, I do. I really do. That God has all under his power and control, and it's his word that stands that the righteous will be blessed. We can trust in our Lord. Father God, we are so thankful for what a creative provider you are. What a faithful keeper, Lord, of your people. And you have ways that we know not of. You put healing in salt that we didn't know anything about. And you put healing in flour that we didn't know anything about. Oh God, but your word declares it. And your word said that you healed the water and the soup. And God, we stand here today asking you, Lord, no matter what comes our way, as your word assures that we will be provided for. Not only us, Lord, but you said that the righteous would be generous givers to those who have less, Lord. Who, to those who are the hungry, you said you would provide the means for us to give to others how thankful we are, O oh God, for these promises, for this encouragement to our hearts when we are bombarded on all sides, Lord, by nothing but doom and gloom. O oh God, but we have never seen the righteous forsaken, nor his seed begging bread, as David said. And we stand upon your word today. Help us look, O oh God, in a different way to the salt of the world. Oh God, help us look in a different way to the bread of life, not only for spiritual sustenance, Lord, but even for our physical bodies, Lord. And help us to learn what you've put in these things, Lord. Help us to understand and know because the Holy Spirit can reveal to us the value and the benefit that you've put in these blessings that you've given to us. And Father, I ask that you go with us today. Light every path as the word came forth this morning, Lord. Light our steps as we look into your eyes and your face shines upon us. In Jesus' precious name, amen and amen.